your four-year-old can discover the joy of learning. Waterford Upstart is a proven effective pre-K learning program that includes fun songs, games, and activities that prepare your child for success in school. We provide all the tools you need to help your child learn to read, including a coach, a computer, and internet access. And because it's already paid for, it's free for you. Listen, uncomplicate the way you do pre-K. Enroll today at waterfordupstart.org. Have you heard? Amazon is now hiring for their new site opening soon in New Albany. Be one of the first to take advantage of launching a new career at one of the best workplaces in the world. Being a part of Amazon includes great benefits and competitive pay, plus many opportunities for advancement. So get a new job today and kickstart a new career tomorrow. Learn more about the perks of working at a new Amazon site. Go to Amazon.com slash start now. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. gentlemen and it is the moment you've all been waiting for the final episode of our assassinations of presidents of the united states of america that's a mouthful and a half but we are on to episode three although we are doing episode four so for those of you who haven't joined us for any of the previous ones we did do jfk first um and lee harvey oswald so we sort of Although that was the last president to be assassinated, uh, we're working backwards. So we're actually doing the fourth president, but the third in a row, if that makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, you'll catch on at some point. But before we get into the story of uh, the man who shot this particular president, uh, the president was uh, William McKinley, but the man who shot him was Leon Sholgosh. Now, I don't know if I've pronounced that right. I have found a few things online. Um, Sholgosh seems to be the preferred pronunciation or the pronunciation that people go with. So that's what we're going with. But before we get into that story, I just want to do a little shout out to all of my lovely, loyal listeners out there. And I just wanted to say thank you. And we have a bit of a a competition going on every now and again just to find out where people are listening from. Okay. Now, the top country, obviously, is the United States. So all of you guys out there, give yourselves a pat on the back for listening in the United States. However, where is your particular state on the list? So, surprise, surprise, the top state for listening to this podcast is California, uh, followed closely by Illinois, Texas, New York, and then Pennsylvania and Florida are both joint next. What surprises me is we have certain states that I thought would be higher up on the list. See, now, one of my favorite states in America is is the Carolinas, North and South Carolina. And North Carolina up there, probably around 6th or 7th, but South Carolina, 
right down the bottom. We haven't got many listeners in South Carolina. So uh, any listeners who are out there in South Carolina, please come and say hi. Um, And that goes for any state in America, wherever you are, say hi. Come and let yourselves known. And if you want your state to be in the top five, well, you best get the word out about this podcast. Like I said, the top five, California, Illinois, Texas, New York, and Pennsylvania and Florida are both joint. So yeah, we need to get the words out for that one, guys. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck where you are. And I tell you who's coming up very, very close to that. British Columbia in Canada, followed by Ontario, very, very high up on the list. So thank you to all my Canadian listeners as well. Really, really appreciate that. England, always up there with, with some good listeners. Weirdly for me, most of my listeners in England are actually from Solihull, which is a little town just outside of Birmingham. Now, Solihull and Birmingham are both in the top three towns in England. So any of you out there in, in Solihull or in Birmingham who are listening to this podcast... Give me a little shout out. Let me know where you're listening from um, because I find that fascinating that um, you'd expect London to be up there and possibly Grimsby with it being a hometown. But no, Solihull and Birmingham in the top three. So, yeah, well done to uh, to those towns. And just a quick shout out uh, to the Australian Capital Territory, which I'm assuming is Canberra um, and to New South Wales in Australia as well. You guys are also up there. Um, So, yeah, thank you very much. And that just goes to show how wide and diverse this podcast is and where we reach. um, That doesn't include countries like Denmark, Sweden, France. Um, I believe there's also uh, Germany in there as well, South Africa. So any of you guys who are out there listening uh, from further seas, give me a shout out. Let me know. Get yourselves a review onto onto the um, iTunes iTunes charts. Um, if you, I know a lot of you guys do review on different apps. If you are doing that, you need to tell me. You need to send me a message on Facebook or drop it into the Facebook group because I don't always get those. All right. Don't always get those emails and don't always know that those reviews have been put through. iTunes, I do find out about. So if you're leaving reviews anywhere else, make sure you let me know. Anyway, random chatter gone, done. Thank you very much for listening. We'll get on with the story. So, Leon F. Sholgosh. Now, there is a story that his name is Leon Frank Sholgosh. And there's also a story that says the F doesn't actually stand for anything, and he just liked how his name sounded with an F in it. So that gives you a bit of a clue as to to who this man is. Now, he was a very young man when he died. He was born on the 1st of May, 1873, and he was a Polish immigrant into America. His father was obviously Mr. Sholgosh. They don't have a name. His name, they just have him down as P, so his name begins with P. Um, and Mary Nowak was his mother. He was born, um, like I said, he was born in Poland, and he lived a general, generally pretty decent upbringing. Um, it's generally believed that uh, he was born on the 5th of May, but they're not 100%. So again, when when you go back to the sort of 18s, 1800 documents weren't as uh, secure as they are now. Uh, there was believed that he was born in Alpena, Michigan, 
However, police documents mention Detroit as his birthplace. Um, there's also a little bit of confusion as to the actual year. So, realistically, he could have been born in 1873, could have been 74, 72, and he could have been born in Michigan or in Detroit. Well, saying that, Detroit is in Michigan, but Alpena or Detroit. So, either way, we don't know exactly where he was born. His parents, uh, well, his, da his dad's name was actually Paul, just found that on a different page. Um, so, Paul Sholgosh, I do apologise for calling him just Mr. Sholgosh, um, and Mary were first-generation Polish immigrants, okay? So they were Roman Catholic by faith, and they moved to the USA possibly in 1872, so possibly the year before Leon was born. Leon was the fourth of his parents' ten children. Like I said before, women in those days were just breeding machines. That was all they were designed to do, and... That's, that's the way society was. So that it was not uncommon for a woman to have 10 plus children. Um, he had three older brothers who were called Waldeck, France, France, sorry, Frank and Joseph. Uh, he also had four younger brothers, which were Walter, Jacob, John and Michael. So you can see how these names have slowly gone away from the Polish into uh, American and two younger sisters which were Celia and Victoria he also had two half siblings uh, which was Charles and Antoine which were from his father's second marriage and it's not known what they actually did when they lived in Poland so we don't really know what the family's qualifications were um, or what they did as general work but when they moved to the USA um, Paul was a laborer in a factory and he earned less than one dollar per day uh, moving from place to place in search of a better job with better money it was around 1878, when Leon was around five, uh, that the family moved to Detroit. After a couple of years, um, they made another move, and this time it was to Posen, which is a village um, just uh, well, it's in Michigan, but it's in the Isle County, the Presque Isle County. Um, here, his father actually acquired a farm. Now... Leon did not have much formal education. Uh, he attended school only for five years. So, he, again, not uncommon. His father owned a farm in these days. It was more common for someone like that to spend time at home when they could actually help out than it was for him to go to school and get an education. Um, he was shy, pious, neat and intelligent. He was a very clever boy, even though he didn't go to school very often. He was normally reading, okay, he was always seemed to have been reading, and he was considered one of the intellectual members of the family. Again, I'm assuming the bar wasn't set very high, and this is going to sound a bit snobby, but the fact that he didn't go to school and was able to read would probably put him ahead of most of the kids in his family. His mother Mary died in 1885, and this was six weeks after giving birth to her youngest child, Victoria. And again, like we said in the last episode, um, childbirth and death was very, very common. 
Paul sold the farm and returned to Alpena after that. And from there, they moved to Naturona in Pennsylvania. Here, Leon took his first job at a glass factory. I say first job, but he probably was helping out on the farm prior to that. By 1890, the family had moved to Cleveland, which was a port city in the northeastern part of Ohio. Most people are probably aware of Cleveland, and if I'm right, it is the home of American football, or where American football actually started. It's one of the only things that the Cleveland Browns are known for, because let's be honest, guys, they're not very good at much else. And that's coming from a Steelers fan, so that's why we're... We'll just have a little dig while we can. Uh, when he was 17 years old, he began working at the Cleveland Rolling Mill Company. Um, here, he was known as a steady worker and soon received a merit uh, and a pay rise to go with that. In 1893, depression hit pretty much most of the USA and Cleveland Rolling Mill was forced to shut down its operations. Now, this was only temporary, but when its doors reopened again, there was a wage cut because they couldn't afford to pay the wages they were beforehand. And the mi uh, the miners, this is being British, this is the miners' strike, uh, the workers decided to strike. This caused Leon and his brother, who also worked at the same mill, to lose their job. Now, at this time in America, if you were to strike or take action against your employer that was deemed unlawful, you were put on a blacklist. This is what happened. Leon was put on a blacklist and was very found it very hard to find any sort of employment after that. In 1894, Leon managed to get back his job, calling himself Fred C. Neiman. Initially, Neiman is a Polish-German surname that means nobody. However, the incident left a deep mark on his psyche, and he began to focus on the inequality between the factory owners and the factory workers. Now, this is a slippery slope for people to go down. Um, there are a lot of people in the world right now um, who are trying to do very, very similar things, okay, with... They look at the disproportionate amount of money that goes between the elites or the people that own the businesses and the people who work for the businesses. And this is where things like socialism and communism comes into play. And Leon fell into this trap. Okay, and I will call it a trap. So if you are a leftist and you are a socialist or a communist, um, I appreciate your political view, but unfortunately, you are wrong. Uh, socialism and the the fact that they want an equal playing field for owners and workers is just not going to happen. The owner is the one that puts out all the money in the first place, and without the owner, you don't have a job. And seeing as it's the owner's money that pays your wages, the owner is probably entitled to a little bit more of that. So that's my opinion, but... Uh, if anyone wants to talk to me in regards to that, uh, let me know. Uh, but I think uh, we've covered that one. So sorry if I've offended anybody, but that's my opinion. Um, the disparity between the rich and the poor greatly angered Leon Sholgosh, and he slowly began to turn towards socialist ideas. He joined the Golden Eagle Society, which was a moderate social workers' club, and subsequently he left the Golden Eagle to join a more radical club, which was called the Sealer Club. 
and this was where he was introduced to another form of leftism which is called anarchism well, i'm sure many of you have heard of anarchy um which is essentially no rules no laws and do what you want over a period of time he came to the conclusion that the rich were allowed to gather more wealth at the expense of the poor because of the governmental structure He's actually not wrong there. That is pretty much how it works. Um, he tried to join different anarchist groups, but because of his strange behavior, he was avoided by all of them. So they saw him as weird. You know, this guy is trying to join groups that are pretty weird anyway, and he's being told, you're a little bit too weird for us. By 1896, he'd lost all faith in God and the church. Alienated from the world, he suffered a nervous breakdown a couple of years later, and he lost his job. By then, his father had bought a 55-acre farm in Warrensville, Ohio, and Leon began to live there. At his father's farm, he spent most of his time reading radical works and never helped with the chores. He also visited Chicago and Detroit frequently, being drawn to big names in anarchist movements such as Emil Schilling of the Liberty Club, Abraham Isaac, editor of the radical newspaper Free Society, and Emma Goldman. He became more intent in his purpose when King Umberto I of Italy was assassinated by an anarchist called Gaetano Breschi on the 29th of July 1900. Breski had told the press that he shot the king for the sake of the common man, and this impressed Sholgosh more than anything. In the summer of 1901, he moved to Buffalo, where he lived in a boarding house in West Seneca. Seneca? should know that one, because that's where one of my friends lives in West Seneca, uh, for a few months. It is possible that he went there looking for work, trying to take advantage of the Pan-American exposition that was starting there from May the 1st, 1901. It is possible that he did not get any job because in May 1901 he returned to Cleveland for a few days. Here, he attended a lecture meeting of Emma Goldman. Greatly impressed by her speech, he approached her asking her what books he must read. On the 12th of July 1901, he met Goldman at Abraham Isaac's residence in Chicago, calling himself Fred C. Neiman. He told her about his disappointment with Cleveland socialists, and he asked her to introduce him to her anarchist friends. But Emma Goldman was on her way to Boston, and there was no time for the introductions. Within a short period, it was revealed that his name was not Neiman, but Leon Sholgosh. This, along with his awkward behaviour and his tendencies to ask blunt questions about their secret societies, made Goldman and Isaac suspicious about his intentions, posting a warning about him in the free society. Now, This warning made him isolated from that, that style of living. They actually believed that because he was so brazen, because he had a different name, because he was the way he was asking so many questions... They believed he was an infiltrator from a the government, basically. He believed that they believed that he was working on behalf of the government to find out what was going on in these anarchist societies. 
He was obviously not doing that. He was just very prominent in the way he dealt with things. On August the 31st, 1901, Leon Sholgosh returned to Buffalo, taking a room in John Nowak's saloon at 1078 Broadway. Sometime soon after, it was announced that President William McKinley would visit the Pan-American Exposition on September the 5th and 6th, and it was at this point that Leon Sholgosh decided that he would kill the president. Around the 1st or 2nd of September 1901, he bought a 32 caliber Ivor Johnson's safety automatic revolver for just $4.50. They do actually have the serial number if that interests anyone, which is 463344. Now, that, that doesn't really mean anything to me. Um, that might mean something to someone else, but that was the serial number of the revolver that he bought. Thereafter, he waited for his chance, targeting to complete the work on September the 5th. Now, on September the 5th, 1901, the president gave a speech on tariffs and foreign trade at the exposition. Although Sholgosh had gone there with the revolver, he soon realised that he would never be able to get close enough to the president to take his shot, and therefore he decided to wait until the next day. On September the 6th, 1901, the president was scheduled to meet general public for 10 minutes at the Temple of Music, an auditorium at the exposition ground, at 4pm. Seizing his chance, Sholgosh stood in the queue carrying his revolver wrapped in a handkerchief, reaching the president at 4.07pm. As the president extended his hand, Sholgosh slapped it away and shot him in the abdomen twice. The first bullet hit a coat button and ricocheted off, but the second bullet hit his stomach, seriously wounding him. The president actually was taken to hospital and he succumbed to his injuries on the 14th of September 1901 where he passed away. Now, it's interesting to note that although he was that close, that a coat button was strong enough to ricochet a bullet off, which goes to show how realistically how powerful this gun was. It wasn't the most powerful weapon he could have purchased. It was probably the cheapest and one of the easiest to use, and that's why he went for it. Um, and again, a single shot to the stomach nowadays is potentially not a death sentence. Um, but again, the early 1900s, the medical examiners and the doctors were not as good as they were. And potentially had something to play in the death of President McKinley. Now, President McKinley slumped backwards and the crowd attacked Sholgosh. Although the police had to struggle hard to keep the crowd off, they were, f they were finally able to take him into custody, initially keeping him in a cell at Buffalo's 13th Precinct at 346 Austin Street. Later, he was moved to the police headquarters. And again, I find it very interesting that the uh, the people fought back in this instance as soon as that shot was fired the people fought back so mckinley you know i, I mean I, I haven't done my research on president mckinley but on that basis alone i would make the assumption that he probably wasn't a bad president um i believe he was a 25th president of america um he wasn't really a 
bad guy from from that basis you know lincoln obviously no one had a chance to to stop wilkes booth there wasn't really much said um in regards to the jfk and and obviously i know he was shot Uh, i know lee harvey oswald was shot um by jack ruby afterwards but again there's a lot of rumors to suggest that uh, jack ruby was possibly trying to stop something else Uh, i mean obviously we went through the conspiracy theories and things like that so there might not be there there were no one really attacked lee harvey oswald no one really attacked the other two um this guy leon leon sholgosh was attacked straight away and the police had to struggle to to hold back the people now i suppose when you've just watched your president get shot i probably would have just let him through but that's just my opinion um he told his interrogators that he killed the president because he believed it to be his duty he also said that he did not think it was right that one man should have so much services and another man would have none. So in other words, he believed that because President McKinley was put into a position of power democratically by the people that he should lose his life because that's not fair because other men have nothing. Not really sure I agree with that, um, but that's that was his belief um initially it was thought that he was part of a big conspiracy because he said that he was inspired by emma goldman's speech and she and other anarchists were briefly arrested but later it was found that you know they had nothing to do with it just because they spoke about anarchy doesn't mean they actually had anything to do with his plan and and he pretty much worked alone September the 16th, 1901, he was brought to the Erie County Jail and the charges were read out to him. The actual trial began on the 23rd of September, 1901, and although he was provided with a defence lawyer, he refused to cooperate with them. Neither did he say anything in his defence during the trial. His defence lawyers therefore claimed that he was insane. They went for that plea, that old classic plea of we know he's done it, we know he's guilty, so let's try not get the death penalty. And we'll put in a plea for insanity. Now, the jury actually conceded that no sane person would shoot the president in such a closed space. However, at the same time, he could not legally be defined as insane because he knew the consequences of his actions. So... On September the 24th, 1901, after deliberating for only an hour, the jury convicted him guilty, unanimous, recommending the death penalty on September the 26th. All along, he remained quiet without showing any emotion. So, he kind of knew. He knew what was coming, and he wasn't bothered. It was that, I don't know, just wasn't really that bothered. Um, On October the 29th in 1901, Sholgosh was electrocuted in Auburn Prison. Uh, He was given three jolts, each of 1,800 volts, and his last words were, I am not sorry for my crime, I am sorry I could not see my father. Although his family members wanted to take his body for a proper burial, fearing mob violence, the prison authorities refused to hand it over, and instead they buried him within the prison grounds after covering his body with sulfuric acid for quick decomposition. Now, 
this is interesting because the video for this is actually still online. So they, this was videoed. You can see the execution of Leon Sholgosh online. There is no sound to it, um, but you can quite clearly see the three jolts because his body completely jolts. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I don't find it an easy watch. Um, I don't find any videos like that easy to watch because you do know um, what's going to happen. And let's be honest, regardless of, of how human we are, that is still someone's life. But um, it's it's definitely interesting to think that this was videoed and it's still available, you know, <laughs> over 120 years later, the video of this execution is still available. Um, but, you know, it is, and, and, you know, if you've got the stomach for it, then then you, I think it's on YouTube, you know, it's not really like a scary one, it's not, but it is it's on YouTube, I'm sure it is, so um, if you do have the stomach for it, then, then go and give it a watch. Um, but the revolver, which uh, Leon Sholgosh killed President McKinley, is now in display at the Buffalo History Museum. So, if you want to go and see the revolver that killed him, it's actually on display. Although the Temple Music, the place where he shot the president, was demolished, um, a stone marker on Fordham Drive now marks the approximate spot as to where Leon Sholgosh executed President McKinley. So, that is the story of a Polish immigrant who found anarchy and socialism and decided to take the law into his own hands. And, you know, again, I would say shock the world, but I don't think it was that much of a shock. Um, you know, I think when Abraham Lincoln was shot, it was obviously a massive big deal, you know, for what Lincoln actually achieved. Um, it, it was it was special, but it's... Uh, I think this one probably didn't hit Americans as, as hard. And whether that was because, you know, they were they were used to it at this point. I mean, I, I don't want to say they were used to it, but, you know, Lincoln was shot in 1865. Uh, Garfield was shot in 1881. McKinley was shot in 1901. This is like within 40 years. So there, were, there would have been people alive at the, the shooting of, of President McKinley who were alive at the shooting of Abraham Lincoln. You know, this is a 30, was it, 36-year uh, time frame. I'm 31. So, you know, anyone who's over 36, I mean, you're talking, some of these guys would have been in their 50s. Some of these people alive would have been teenagers or, or even sort of young adults when Abraham Lincoln was shot and were still alive. So I suppose... If in your lifetime three presidents have been shot, it's probably not as much of a shock as you would have thought. Um, whereas, obviously, when it happened in in 1963 with with Kennedy, it was 62 years. Most people alive when Kennedy was shot were not alive when McKinley was shot, and were, it was very very unlikely they would have been alive when Garfield was shot. And again, I would even go as far as saying you know, 100 or 98 years between Lincoln and Kennedy, there would have been a handful of people, if any, who would have been alive um, in 1963, who were alive in 1865. And if they were, they certainly wouldn't have remembered Abraham Lincoln being shot. So the, I think the shock would have worn off for Americans at this point. Um, 
and I think that's sad to be honest that it it became it would have become such a oh well another president's been shot sort of attitude um and I mean I'm I'm not around I wasn't around in 1901 but when you look at the all right the outrage directly afterwards was was quite severe but the outrage for the the shooting of JFK um was was well known you know the outrage for the shooting of Lincoln was well known the other two presidents not so much um you know it even goes to show that when we talk about the assassinations of presidents most people in the world only know of Lincoln and JFK you know most people don't even know of these two guys you know um McKinley and Garfield were sort of the unknown presidents that lost their lives and it, it's it's sad and I think it is sad because I, I can only put it down to the fact that it was they were they were used to it you know it, they were used to the fact that presidents were being assassinated obviously going into the the 1900s there was the formation of the the secret service the FBI things like that all happened in the 1900s um and the protection around the president got a lot more severe. So they might explain the the gap of 60 years between the two. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it probably wasn't the best time to, to be around, you know, between 1860 and, and 1900. But it's, um, it is what it is. Every, every country is slightly different. But I do want to have a little quick shout out because before we go, because we did actually have a request yes believe it or not guys i do do requests not very often um but i have been asked to do a specific episode all right now we don't uh don't always shout these ones out because well because i don't but there is a decent request that i believe we shall be covering and that is of the assassination of a british prime minister okay so it was Spencer Percival was the only British prime minister ever to be assassinated and it's been requested to do a podcast and someone's just put on there um, loving the podcast I wondered whether the running theme of assassinations you could maybe do an episode on the assassination of Spencer Percival the only UK prime minister ever to be assassinated now I think that is a great idea um, and I am well up for it. I think that'll be a, a fantastic one. So let me know. You know, is uh, is that something you guys want to listen to? To be honest, I'll do it anyway. And if you don't want to listen to it, then then I'll notice because the statistics will go down. But for those of you who are on the Facebook group, you have obviously seen this picture, and you know who this guy is. But you will be looking forward to next week's episode. And that picture will be going up very shortly for those of you who are not on the Facebook group. I say it every single week. Most people now, I would say, are on Facebook. Um, get yourselves over to Facebook and get onto This Week in History podcast. Join the group. We'll accept you into the group. Have a look at the new picture for next week and have a guess. We play the game every single week. Um, unless I tell you beforehand. Sometimes it's, it's a little bit cheating if I tell you the episode that we're going to do next week. Um, but we'll put an ep- put a picture up, have a look, have a guess, and join us over there. If you don't have Facebook, you can always contact me by email, which is twihpod at gmail.com. 
or failing that you can contact me on patreon which is patreon.com forward slash this week in history um get over onto that we do have quite a few members on there and for those of you who are interested we will be doing the two u.s presidents who were shot in work in work in line of duty does it work as line of duty i'm not sure the two u.s presidents who were shot in office that's the one in office but survived those two particular episodes will be going on to patreon so those of you who do want to listen to those particular episodes or if you don't know which presidents we're talking about you'll need to go on to patreon failing that you can google it but don't go don't google it get on to patreon have a listen um it's five dollars per month or five pounds five euros wherever you're coming from um it's five of whatever you're from so if you're australian it's a lot cheaper because i believe five us dollars uh, sorry five australian dollars is quite a bit less than five british pounds i, th- I believe so i'm saying that if, I, if you're british it's five pounds if you're um from the us it's five dollars i know that five british pounds is roughly seven or eight dollars so yeah the british uh, actually pay more so for those of you who are on there that are british thank you very much because you're paying ever so slightly more uh, than the rest of the world thanks to our exchange rate which is half decent at the moment so thank you for listening guys um let me know what you thought of this episode like i said it is a different one definitely a different one um and we shall see you next week Thank you very much. At Kroger, we believe local produce shouldn't be hard to find. That's why we work with local farms right in our own backyard to bring the fresh produce you love to our stores. From homegrown watermelon that makes your mouth water to crisp corn picked right around the corner. Come pick out some yourself because shopping for local produce should be as easy as shopping at your local Kroger. Kroger, fresh for everyone. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know. The average oak tree branch can hold 70 pounds. Something you probably do know. Your neighbor is building their kid a treehouse. Something you probably don't know. A falling treehouse would take out your whole fence. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm. You're keeping it cool, too. With an ice-cold cold brew. And not just any cold brew, but one that's slow-steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. 
That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply.